Mid-market sized businesses are where the true economic action in business really is. They are nimble and agile. They're factories of growth, they lead in innovation, and they're early adopters of tech. These enterprises need the right tools, support and environment to flourish. But sadly, they're often overlooked and undervalued. Not here though. This is the Mid-Market Matters podcast, and I'm your host, Craig West. We'll explore pain points, growth strategies, and how to find the competitive edge. Welcome to SME Radio. In this episode of Mid-Market Matters, I'm joined by Alex Lee. Alex is the co-founder and managing partner of Thornton Lee, and he's a licensed and experienced financial advisor working with clients who need help with their personal finance strategy and how that might integrate with their business, and particularly what we're going to talk about today, if you're an employee share plan owner, how that might help you as well. Alex, firstly, thanks for joining us. All right, thanks, Greg. So, mate, how did you get into financial planning? Let's start with a bit of background. How did you get here? Uh, well, originally, I wanted to be an accountant, so don't, <laughs> don't hold that against me. Uh, so I did an accounting degree, was at KPMG, and then um, a grad program came up in Sydney. So I uh, moved over from Perth to uh, BT in the grad program. And then from there, I got placed in the financial services. So I did a bit of a rotation through there and, um, and then loved it. So that's kind of kind of fell into it by accident. But then ever since then, I've um, I really liked the numbers side, but looking a bit more into the future, which is a bit more of the financial planning side. Yeah, okay, fantastic. So mate, you've got a real focus around, you know, young entrepreneurs, um, people that are typically wealth accumulators, often business owners. Why is this such an important thing for them to get right? Yeah, I, I think um, what we found out was, you know, we were dealing with a lot of, um, I guess, pre-retirees originally. And part of the things that was frustrating us was if they'd made a few decisions a little bit earlier, not 20 years earlier, but maybe five or 10 years earlier, yep. it would have been a lot easier for the planning. Um, so we decided to, to move down the, the age a bit and get a bit more into the accumulators so we can help them make some you know, simple decisions early on that doesn't backfire later on. Um, and it's for us, it was enjoyable because we got to go on the journey with them um, rather than kind of being at the end when someone's already got their wealth. We're focusing more on how do we actually build it and protect it for them for the longer term. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, we tell our clients you can't start planning too early. And I guess, you know, you hear Warren Buffett saying it's about time in the markets, not timing. You know, it's all about this long-term strategic approach, really, isn't it, to get it right? And I think the one of the misconceptions is that people think they need a lot of money to, to start to plan about what their future is, yep. when it's probably the other way around. It's, yeah, when you don't have anything, it's when you should be planning. Um, when you're starting, you know, when you're having kids or buying a house or making those big decisions, that's when you should be thinking about what is it going to look like over the medium term. Yeah, okay. That's a good point, isn't it? Because pe- you're right, people often wait, you know, they, they get a million dollar inheritance or they get a bonus or something and go, okay, now I need a an advisor, but actually they need that well before that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Um, I want to talk a little bit about a lot of your clients are entrepreneurs, business owners, employee share owners. Um, I want to talk about how important it is to have a cohesive personal strategy and business strategy. How do they work together? Yeah, I think it's a um, a lot of people will focus on one or the other, um, and I guess you've got people in different roles. You've got people that are business experts and people that are finance, personal finance experts. And where we see a bit of a gap is that there's no link between the strategy. So an right. example might be you've got the accountant doing a fantastic job minimising the tax, 
but then you go to buy a house and you can't get a loan because you don't have a big enough borrowing yeah. capacity. Yep. So I guess where we try to sit is we try to find that balancing act between the two um, and it's generally around timings of, you know, well, when do you want to buy a house? Well, let's make sure that the accountant knows that. So the structure in 2022 looks like this. Um, so, so making sure that the plan of what you want to do in the business actually aligns with your personal plan as well. Yeah, okay. And obviously that's, um, that's going to build wealth outside the business, but probably also help you with your business strategy because business owners typically, if you're stressed about anything outside the business, your personal situation, your family life, someone's ill, you've got financial stress, then you're not going to do a great job in your business either. Yeah, correct. And it's it's that clarity of what you need. So like if you work backwards and your living expenses are X per month, you can work backwards to your business as well. What, what do you need at a minimum to make sure that you can cover yourself personally? And then and then that goes into your budgets and into your planning on the business side, even though it's driven by your personal expenses. Yeah, no, it's a good way to look at it. Um, I know you're a big fan of working with other advisors. So, you know, accountants, lawyers, brokers, etc. Yeah. Um, Tell us a little bit about how you approach that because I think it's quite unique, but very important. Yeah, I think the it's kind of the way I see it is like an advisory board um, and everyone's got their specialties. You can't be good at everything. And it's about being very clear up front is, you know, we're all in it for the client, number one. If the partner's not aligned, then we don't generally work with them on that side. Um, and then it's making sure that we understand what role does everyone play and for each project, you call it, whether it's a budget or an acquisition, there's got to be someone who takes the lead. Um, so for an acquisition, it might be your team because uh, yep. that's your specialty for making sure the tax returns and compliance, the accountant will take the lead. Um, we might bring the broker in when there's a special finance deal. So it's just understanding you know, when, when to use other people's expertise, but also the responsibility of who's going to get it done. Um, and what we try to do is we we map that and we try to hold everybody accountable, including ourselves um, and the client and all the different partners. Yeah, okay. And I think, you know, the work that I do, by definition, it's very collaborative advice. You can't, I can't do what I do without lawyers, accountants, financial advisors, sometimes marketing people, sometimes HR consultants. I think for clients, though, if you think about, forget the advisors for a minute, if you think about it from a business owner's point of view, that's actually what they want and need. Yeah, and they want a team that works together. There's nothing yep. worse than, you know, the the advisor, you know, has a particular way they want to do things and they won't change. So you kind of, everyone's got to leave their ego at the door and um, and work together for the benefit. Otherwise, as you say, the client doesn't win in the end. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you're a bit younger than me, mate. You've got a fairly good... Just a couple good, of years. <laughs> yeah, just a couple. You've got a fairly good understanding of technology and... How, I'm interested in how you use technology for your clients to better understand where they're at and what they need to do. Yeah, I think it's an evolving space. And once we get to the open banking, it'll get a bit better. But I think first and foremost, we want to be able to track how our clients going. So just like in Zero, you track your business financials yep. and look at your profit and loss every couple of weeks and you've got a budget. You yep. want to take that exact same scenario but apply it to yourself personally. So we upload your budget. We'll track all your expenses through your bank accounts and then yep. we'll map that to what we thought that you would spend. And right. it's not to put the whip on you and say, you know, I can't believe you spent X dollars on this. It's about you understanding where your money's going so then you can make decisions as to whether you're comfortable with that or actually you want to pull the reins in and you want to spend less on takeaway because all of a sudden you've realised 13% of your expenses is takeaway. Yeah, okay. And it's about having that information in front of you so you can make that decision. 
Correct, correct. So a lot of the time, you know, clients, we want them to make their own decision, but we want to give them the right data to make that decision. Um, and to do that, you know, we could do it through spreadsheets, but it, it's too long, too much of a time lag. Whereas now you've got zero class, um, a couple of other providers who will data feed in overnight. So you've nearly got a live profit and loss on your personal scenario. Yeah, which is exactly what we're used to as a business owner with things like zero. You know, we can I can log in now and see exactly what happened up till late last night. Yeah, exactly. And so you should be able to, you should do the same thing on your personal side. Now you might not log in every week, but yeah. you, you definitely want. And then you want to alert. So you look at your profit and loss, and you kind of go, well, why is that a lot higher than what I thought? And it might be that you actually got double debited by Telstra, and it yep. gives you a chance to go back and actually fix pick it. up a lot of times where there's actually bills that you shouldn't have been paying. Yeah, and is this something you do regularly with clients? You set this up for them and monitor it with them? Yeah, definitely. So there's diff two different levels. Some clients really buy into it and they log in every day and they'll kind of run with it themselves. And then other clients will build the structure and we'll report it monthly back to them and they'll either come back to us saying, all looks good or can you look at this a bit more? From okay. that the other thing that I notice is, you know, a lot of financial planners and, you know, other advisors might talk about an annual review, but I know you check in with your clients a lot more often than that, and the software we just spoke about is one example. Why do you think that's so important? Yeah, I think um, I think COVID's also probably enhanced that a bit more as well, um, where, you know, I, I don't have a huge attention span for meetings longer than an hour. Um, Mate, I don't even last an hour. <laughs> yeah, and, and generally, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes of pure focus. Um, so I think if you think about your personal scenario, there's a lot more in it than just an hour or two a year. Um, so, so what we want to do is smaller pieces so every month or every quarter or whenever something comes up, but it's only 30 or 45 minutes and it, it's a particular topic. So we might in, in January, we're going to call every client and we're going to talk about what they want to do for the year. And then in March and May, we're going to be talking to them about getting their tax planning ready for the year. Yeah. Then in July, we might be talking about investments and September, estate planning. So so we try to break it into bite-sized pieces because it's easier to digest. Um, yeah, and it also means good. that we can actually action all the items and it doesn't become a big backlog of 30 action items on the end of a meeting. Which must be perfect, particularly for business owner clients, because I, I deal with a lot of business owners, as you know, and they typically, like us, have fairly you know, high-level thinking, they want short, sharp answers, I haven't got time to talk to you about this for two hours, just tell me what I need to know and let's get on with it. Yeah, and let's have five action items out of the meeting and then, yep. you know, estate planning is important, but we don't need to talk about it every single time. We can talk about it every 18 months or if your situation changes. Yeah, sure, no, that makes sense. So, man, I want to talk a little bit about employee share plans. I know you do quite a lot of work in this area and you've got quite a lot of clients who are, rather than being necessarily what we'd call traditional business owners, they're actually employees who are now part of an employee ownership plan, employee share scheme, et cetera. Um, tell us a little bit about, firstly, how did you get involved with that sort of area? And uh, and then we'll talk in a bit more detail about what sort of things we need to look out for there. Yeah, definitely. So it, I think it's um, it started that we had a few employees at some of the big US companies. Yep. Um, and it wasn't a thing done in Australia. It wasn't that popular that long ago. Mm. But given Google and Facebook and Apple are growing so quickly it's the way that they reward and more importantly they retain their employees um, so you're generally there for quite a while it's not like you kind of jump around um, so we we had a couple of early clients that were working for some of the big tech companies and it started off with us getting emails originally of why have i got this massive tax bill so yeah, yeah the original the original email always comes on the back of 
I got my bonus and now I've got a $45,000 tax bill. Yeah, thanks um, a lot. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, when you actually dig into it, it means they got 120000 as employee share plans. So it's actually a great outcome for them. But no one really explained to them the consequences of the employee share plans. Yep. Um, so we started doing that and then we picked up one, two, three, and then it kind of went from there. And um, a lot, there's, the first part of it's education. So mm. them understanding, you know, what it actually means to them when they get the employee share plan. Um, and then the second part, which we'll chat about is, you know, well, what are their, what are their options? Um, yep. Because they're not a traditional business owner, but they're also not a pay-as-you-go employee. They kind of sit in that little gap in the middle um, where they get, you know, the benefits of both sides, really. Yeah, and I think it's a really interesting point. I mean, my, my oldest son, who's only 26, works for Apple. Um, he's been in the employee share plan since the day he joined there. He's now got a deposit. He's just put a deposit on a unit entirely as a result of the money that they've got through that employee share plan. So they have real benefits for employees. Um, he wouldn't see himself as a business owner. He'd see himself as an employee. And yet, financially, he's got a substantial benefit from that employee share scheme. Yeah, and he's getting the benefits of being effectively a, a shareholder. Yeah, exactly. So I'd like to talk about, you know, what, what does that mean? What What's the difference there? You, you know, someone like my son who works for Apple or Facebook or even some of our clients who are in a privately owned business where they have an employee share plan, they're starting to buy in as an equity shareholder. What changes for them? What's different about that compared to being a PAYG employee? Yeah, and I think the, the first point is what you mentioned there is you've got people in private Facebook, Google, Apple, and they're all different. So the the first first thing to understand is how does it impact you? So when you get vested the shares, does it vest quarterly, annually? And then most importantly, when it vests, um, what's the tax consequence? Yep. So, um, so I know that if you're you know a Google employee, when it vests, it becomes taxable income on that day. So right. if you get 100,000, bang, it's almost like you've earned an income. Yep. So, so the first bit is understanding that. So then you can plan your cash flow and you know that come May 2022, you're going to have a $42,000 tax bill. Yep. Um, it's kind of like you get the benefit of it's a bonus, but instead of them withdrawing the tax on day one, they let you hold it for another nine months. Yeah. So, so then that starts to, when we get a good understanding, I guess, of your tax consequence, we can then work out, well, what are your options? Right. Uh, so, so from there, it's, okay, well, I've got X amount. Should I be holding it in my own name um, or is there an opportunity to transfer this to another you know either a partner's name or a, a structure that yep. in the future it might be more tax effective so um, let's talk about that for a sec before we go any further tell us a bit more about that i mean that for private companies and most of the employee share plans we do for example that is always an option yep. um, you could you can elect up front you have to do it up front but you can elect up front to hold those shares in a family trust, a company, your, your spouse's name, etc. Um, tell us about why that's such an important decision up front. Yeah, so you, you don't want to get it wrong up front, and that comes back to that understanding of what your plan looks like. Uh, so if you've got the option in a private company, which is a great outcome, you, you want to you elect the structure so when you trigger the tax bill, it's going to trigger it in a tax environment that you control as opposed to just going straight into your name. Right. Now, it might end up that your name is still the best outcome, but you want yep. to look at all the different options to see, well, as you said, should I hold it in a trust? Because when I trigger the capital gain, it gives me flexibility to transfer that to my partner or my adult children um, or, a, or a bucket company, for example. Yeah, okay. So Where, that's, if, And most sorry, employees, please. let's be honest, most employees won't have that 
financial taxation knowledge to make that decision without good advice. Yeah, and I think what where it gets to is, let's say that someone's been an employee share in a private company for 10 or 15 years, they've, done, they've built a substantial amount of wealth, then they go to sell at the end, there's nothing we can do at the end. Yeah. So, so yeah. once you, you kind of got to make all the decisions up front um, and you spent all your time effectively growing the business, but you might walk away with less than what you would have if you just structured it correctly up front. Okay, so we've talked about structuring up front and who should own the shares and how does that work. We've talked about the tax planning around the cash flow timing issue of tax. What other advice do employee shareholders sort of need to be aware of or think about? Uh, I think the, the overall question is looking at how much exposure they have. So if you've been at, take your son, you know, he's yep. at Apple for a, a while. If yep. he stayed there for 20 years and he did nothing else, he's got all of his employment income with Apple and then he's got all of his wealth with Apple. Yeah. So that yeah. might be okay. He might be very comfortable with that. But you want to just have the conversation and say, well, should we start to, you know, when, if there is a bit of profit, should we take a little bit off the table and move it to something else? Yeah, so yeah. if something happens to Apple, which, you know, hasn't happened for that long, at least you're, you're diversified from that point of view and you're not all eggs in one basket. Yeah, so it's about risk management? Yeah, correct. Correct. Yeah. Now, a lot of the time the employees will, will stay there because they, they work there and they trust it. but. Yeah. At some point when they have kids, it might be taking some money off the table to put into an education fund or um, yep. not so much about the future gains, more about protecting the capital. Yes. Yeah. What about estate planning for employee shareholders? I mean, one of the risks that business owners often talk to me about is, well, I've got this employee, you know, let's call him Craig, and he's a good employee and he's been here a long time and I really like him, but I don't know anything about his situation. I don't know what his financials look like at home. I don't know about his family. If I bring him in as a shareholder, what what do I need to worry about? You know, what could go wrong? Yeah, definitely. So I think the the, the private conversation is a lot more, um, there's a lot more detail in the private ownership than there is in the ASX listed or public listed companies. Sure. Uh, so the public listed companies, if something happens, you can just sell your shares and it's pretty easy. Yeah. Whereas on the private one, like you said, it's, you actually own a portion of a private company. So yeah. you, you want to be able to have a mechanism where you can get out. Um, so that if something were to happen and you've got a substantial amount of wealth in there, you don't really want your estate or your partner coming in and owning five or 10% of this private company, which they have zero control over and they're not involved in day to day. Yeah, yeah. So, so we need to look at, well, number one, what does the shareholders agreement say? And then number two, what's the mechanism that if something were to happen to you, how does your estate get all the benefits that you've built up over a period of time um, and get rewarded for all your work rather than just owning something in a company that might not actually be that liquid and be able to get out of? Yeah, perfect. So there's quite a bit to think about in terms of, you know, whilst most of the stories you hear are all really positive around employee share plans and building up equity and, you know, all that sort of stuff. There's a few things to think about to get the best out of it, really. Yeah, definitely. definitely. I, th I think it's a great mechanism for employees to, you know, to generate significant wealth. But just like just like if you bought a share and it went, you know, it grew in value significantly, you want to be able to understand what your options are from a tax and from an exit point of view. The same applies with a private share plan. Yeah, okay. No, that's good. So key things I'm hearing are, you know, use the software to understand where you're at, regular check-ins with your advisor to make sure you're on track and to set new goals and keep the momentum going and getting the cohesive advice of good advisors around you are probably the three key things you've sort of touched on yep. as well as the employee share plan. Um, 
Anything else, mate? Number one big tip for SME business owners or employee share plan owners to be more successful with what they're doing? Well, number one, I'd say number one is understand what you've got. The amount, the amount yep. of people that we come across and they don't understand exactly what they have, it makes it very hard to plan. If you want to buy a house, how do you know how much you've got as a deposit if you don't know the tax consequence of your share plan? Yep. Um, so I think that first and foremost, it's an understanding piece. Yep. And then once you've got your understanding, then you can build your action items on the back of that. Fantastic. Alex, how do people get in touch with you? What's the best way to find you and talk to you if they need help with this? Yeah, email's probably best or, or mobile. So email's yep. alex at thorntonlee.com.au. Yep. Um, or mobile's just as easy, which is 040 9313 And um, always happy to have a chat. And if we can't help, always happy to point you in the direction of another advisor or someone else who might specialise in that area as well. Oh, fantastic. Mate, that's been really good. Thanks very much. No dramas. Thanks, Craig. Appreciate the time. Thanks for listening to Mid-Market Matters. I hope you found this episode helpful and informative for your business. To find out more, go to midmarketmatters.com.au and to download other episodes, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify or anywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.